Well, hi there, and welcome to the Smart Building series, and this, which is our seventh uh, session of 2017, and it's called Three Steps to Launching an ROI-Driven Smart Building Program, and I'm super happy to have uh, two guys on that we've had before, uh, and they're going to introduce themselves in a bit. And just a few things from me to start um, as we kick this off. Uh, of course, like if you guys have any questions for us, then uh, you can please type them in. I'll get them here and we can, we'll put them in uh, during uh, the session uh, whenever we, we, we can fit them in. Also, I need to say a big thank you to our sponsor, Project Haystack. Uh, they're an open source initiative who is streamlining data for the Internet of Things. And I really encourage uh, guys, you guys to go and check it out. Uh, the website is project-haystack.org, and they're doing some really, really good stuff with semantic tagging of uh, building automation. Uh, so, yeah, uh, without further ado, let's let's introduce our our speakers today. Um, so, first, Bruce. Bruce, how are you doing? You're in Australia at the moment, right? I am in Australia. I'm in uh, Sydney, and uh, we're in winter, and it's, uh, it's a bit dark, but. Uh, Otherwise, uh, pleased to, to pleased to be here. Um, yeah, so um, yeah, so my name's uh, Bruce, and uh, I'm the director and uh, founder of a company called um, uh, Melt Strategies, and we specialise in creating smart buildings. So we work with property developers and design professionals to incorporate technology into property development, such as commercial office buildings, high-end residential, mixed-use precincts, etc. And basically, we look at the uh, the business problem opportunity of uh, new property developments and existing assets. So, how can technology actually add value in there to create a smarter building outcome? Which is going to be the topic of what we're talking about uh, today. Right, and and this is obviously based on some of the concepts in your book as well, right? That you published. Yes, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. And so, what we're going to be covering uh, uh, later on is is um, a framework which we've developed in the way that we work to to. Follow us, you know, a, a reasonably sort of structured process to ensure successful outcomes for projects, uh, intelligent property design framework. Um, and we're going to sort of talk about that uh, that, that later. But um, unpacked all of that uh, content in a book called Smarter Buildings, Better Experiences. Um, it's probably linked somewhere uh, later on to, to uh, guide people towards that there. But uh, it, it talks about this entire process of how to create um, smart buildings. Uh, from the very inception stages all the way through to completion and operation. Absolutely. I've read it. I'm a fan. There you go. You had one yeah. still. And I will, uh, <laughs> I will I'll put, it, I'll put a link in the show notes for, for anyone who's right. in, in checking that out. And then, um, of course, Aaron from Switch Automation as well. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Aaron Lapsley. I'm in San Francisco right now. Uh, I was just in Denver with our uh, team out there. So I'm VP Head of Professional Services and Support for Switch Automation uh, here in the San Francisco software area. We call that customer success. So I, I lead a team of uh, professionals, um, engineers, um, energy engineers, mechanical engineers, data scientists, um, and technologists. And we help our customers uh, deploy our platform. And increasingly, we're doing a lot of additional engineering services work to help people with fault detection and diagnostics uh, and um, operational efficiencies. Great. I've got a long and varied career in, in professional services and real estate background in engineering consulting, management consulting, and um, most recently with Switch. Yeah. So as you can tell, we have two experts on the line with a whole bunch of experience so if you have any questions anything about smart building projects and obviously what we're going to talk about please put some questions into these guys because um you you don't get the opportunity to talk to uh people with this much knowledge every day so let's get let's get going let's um let's talk and i know this first slide we put together obviously really important question why selecting the right smart building program now so important. Uh, Bruce, what's your thoughts on this? Well, I think, you know, being a long-time industry sort of veteran, we, we've seen various different ways of waves of things actually uh, occurring. And I guess we've been through the big sort of design waves where it was all about, you know, the building and the architecture and so forth. And we've been through a wave that 
uh, is all about sustainable design and um, you know Green Star and Lead and Briam and other sort of rating systems like that. So sustainability you know, process is well established, and technology can help support that. I think what we also begin to see now really is a wave around um, uh, technology and uh, and uh, the importance of data and the Internet of Things and other things like that as well. So there's a realization there that technology has to play an important part in buildings. There's a there's an effect that you see through almost consumer technologies as well, where where it's being recognised by people that can you can easily acquire technology to use in your personal lives, whether it be um, you know Fitbits or you know smart watches and smartphones and smart this that and the other and Technology is increasingly becoming more accessible, easier to use, more affordable, etc. And so, therefore, we've seen that people are creating that logical connection between, well, if I can use this technology personally, surely I should be able to use that technology in the buildings that I, you know, live and work in. So the expectation is building up subtly, and so therefore, uh, property developers and asset owners, real estate managers, etc., are thinking about, well, how can technology actually help our building? because there's an important need to differentiate in the market and going, well, our building is better because. And so people are ticking that box and going, our building is better because it's a great design, it's in a great location, it's got a great you know, um, sustainability rating, et cetera. Now they want to continue that dialogue and say that technology is also in a, a part of it. You can, you know, in a building, you can access the building using a smartphone. You can control, you know, comfort levels in the building using a smartphone. You can see a dashboard in the building to understand its performance and what things are going on in the building, etc. So I think there's a, there's a natural progression that's occurring in the industry. The expectations building up. And because technology, you know, through standards and so forth is beginning to fortunately get to the point now where it's getting, it's getting easier to be able to implement and integrate different systems and so forth, um, that the timing is now right whereby people can begin to embark on creating smart buildings and creating smart building uh, programs uh, using technology in ways that they weren't able to do before or weren't able to afford before. So I think we're really at the nexus now of a, a very exciting and interesting time uh, moving forward. Yeah, right. And you, you mentioned affordability there. That's that's really key. So it's this kind of, mm. you know, trends that are coming coming together to, to make it the right the yeah. right time. Mm-hmm. Well, it's effective more floor, really. It's the- <laughs> yeah. Yeah, picking up on the, the economic point there, um, I do think that the, the and, and you're sort of picking up on the name of this webinar too, I do think that the economics are finally starting to make a, a lot of sense for this to the point where it's beyond just compelling, it's actually necessary. Um, assets, especially big expensive assets like buildings or large portfolios of smaller buildings, they produce data in 2017. Um, that's just a fact. And in, and you know, in many ways, buildings have been producing data through digital control systems and metering networks and, and you know, other sensing devices for a long time. The you know, real issue has been economically putting all of that in one place so that it can become useful. And uh, what we're starting to see right now is you know, the convergence of a lot of things. Like you talked about standards and technology. I mean, we've seen, just in the last three or four years, it's become much more... Um, consistently simple to integrate control platforms and existing sensor networks into a smart building platform because standards like BACnet have become just absolutely dominant, um, which is fantastic. I mean, it's a lot like web standards in the late 90s. You, know, you used to have to click a button that would say whether you were using Netscape or Internet Explorer, and now all of that's sort of automatically done because of standards. So I think that's happening for buildings. There's also just a huge amount of, of ROI on the table, a lot of value on the table. Um, every phase of, of a business, including the real estate groups, um, are starting to uh, exploit data for insights in how to do things better and smarter. Uh, organizations are increasingly uh, strapped for personnel. Um, uh, you know, Headcounts are typically going down per dollar of revenue in most large businesses, including commercial real estate companies. Um, and it's really important to get the most out of the uh, investments you've made. So because of the confluence of all that stuff, we're now actually seeing really, really ROI positive projects. Uh, in the North American market where we work, this is really, really um, important to our customers. Um, and, you know, we just 
completed a, a marketing survey of a lot of our customers, one of the points that was really reinforced to us was how much visible ROI matters to our customers. Um, and um, you couldn't do that five years ago. So I think now that everyone's, this is starting to become economical, it's important that we, we uh, use this framework that Bruce has put together, it's an excellent framework, for how to do this the right way and get the right people at the table to start. Exactly. And yeah. As we've said, you know, this confluence of, of different uh, trends, including technology, comes together. And now, okay, so you want to look at putting technology into building, trying to understand that. How can people go about that? Right. So what we're going to be just talking about in the next period of time here now is, uh, is a framework about how to, um, you know, how to create a, a, a smart building uh, project and essentially this sort of uh, is a bit of a, a snapshot overview of the content of the, the book I wrote um, uh, a few few years ago now. But um, basically, that the principles apply around how you go about successfully creating a, a smart building and sort of I sort of unpacked my brain of everything I sort of had learnt over sort of you know twenty plus twenty five years in the industry and said, okay, if you were to start from scratch, what would you do? Knowing, knowing what we now know, knowing where things actually go wrong in the property development life cycle, knowing the issues and complexities around technology, knowing the human behavioral issues that exist in the industry. And I, and I describe, but paraphrase this, is that technology actually probably is the least of our issues here. It's, I, I, my 80-20 rule in this thing is that technology is only 20% of the problem. 80% of it actually is behavioral change about how you go about um, understanding technology in such a way that you can then successfully implement it because there are a huge range of stakeholders in the design and construction process that, that one has to influence to create a successful outcome anything and so and the three phases here as part of the framework and we'll talk about you know the, the, the um, uh, steps within that uh, around strategy design and implementation and and typically the strategy part of it is left out altogether right people sort of tend to window shop uh, brands of technologies or systems and see something and say, oh, let's go and get one of those, right? I call it management by airline magazine. Someone sees something in a magazine somewhere and is like, oh, got to get me one of those, right? Um, yeah, I like... want to sort of wind that all... I might steal that if you don't mind. Sure. <laughs> and I want to sort of wind it all the way back here and go, well, what's the strategy? Like, why are you doing this? What's the intent here? What sort of outcomes are you trying to uh, su support um, you know, here and there. So you need a good strategy. You need a strategy that's aligned to the corporate objective, that's aligned to the property portfolio. It's a strategy that's aligned to where is this type of asset sitting in the market uh, and so forth. So strategic intent is really, really important because that's going to inform the design approach that one undertakes in terms of the selecting technologies. One of the things that we strongly emphasize with our companies is that you don't want to gratuitously use technology for technology's sake with, with no understanding or the business purpose actually used behind it that's driving it because it's likely to fail in that context, right? So this this process in here is sort of considers all these various different phases, phases and all the various different stakeholders and you'll begin to understand a bit more as we go into it. Um, but it's important to have a, uh, a structured approach in doing this in some way to sort of anchor um, uh, some reference point there to to you know go through the whole process and, and be able to understand where you are in the cycle and just get reference to make sure you do have addressed each of these areas properly. Yeah. <clears throat> Aaron, what do you you had some comments? I know about this the strategy um, part of of this of this whole. Yeah, there's two key differences. Um, that I want to talk about the, uh, for smart building programs versus other similar things that may look like they follow the same process. And the first would be like a traditional management consulting style um, transformational change program that involves technology. So, you know, not in, in, in enterprise IT implementation. What's different about smart buildings? And it's mainly the design phase here. You, you usually do a strategy in an implementation phase with a consulting project. But you have to remember we're in the built environment here. So there usually is a, almost always is, some part of the program that involves deploying hardware, additional sensor hardware, um, particularly in existing building portfolios, which is the bulk of our customer base. Um, 
you are putting things out in the field. And so you have to be very careful about how you design, install, you know, commission, test, all the sort of construction elements, development and construction elements of that design part. That, that, that's kind of the key difference from most sort of IT projects. And then also from a traditional um, construction perspective, what's different is if you think about new construction, you do sort of have a strategy design and, and build phase in any given you know, new build or major retrofit project. But what's fundamentally different about a uh, smart building program is you have to inherently think about more than one building. It is a program level thing. I'll talk about this hopefully a little bit more later. Um, but you, this is fundamentally aligning parts of the organization so that you can start to um, drive behavioral change, like Bruce said, using data and information um, that's coming out of these buildings. Um, and so, you know, you may be used to this process, but you have to sort of fundamentally think about it differently if you're an architect or a design engineer, um, because standards matter an enormous amount when you introduce the technology component. Yeah, exactly. So let's get into it. Let's, and I know we wanted to f first start with um, a definition, right, Bruce? Yeah. What is a smart building? Yeah, so I, I well, I, I thought I'd put this in there because when I wrote the book, I myself was looking through, right, okay, so who's got a good working definition of a smart building? And, and you know, in fact, even the term smart building what hadn't been properly established yet. I mean, I think the industry has agreed now smart buildings is probably the best term. I like the term because it's actually uh, more accessible. It doesn't infer that there's a sort of some form of artificial intelligence going here. It's not just a quantum leap from where they are now. It's like, okay, I get that. I'm seeing smart things and smart objects and so forth there. So a smart building kind of is an accessible term that makes sense. But working definitions that I've uncovered tended to be very, shall we say, engineering. You know, trying to throw everything in the kitchen sink in the definitions, trying to be all things to all people, et cetera. So I prefer to sort of keep the definition quite succinct uh, and, uh, and uh, easy to, to interpret. And so I've defined a, a smart building as a building that's safer, more comfortable and productive for occupants and more operationally efficient for owners over its life cycle. And, and this talks to multiple dimensions of it, but the, the key thing here is the over its life cycle. Um, I think a lot of buildings historically uh, have been designed and, and, uh, and built to cruelly sort of, I mean, as I describe it as to survive a defect liability period. Yes, there's certain elements in there that's okay, these materials have to last for 50 years and so on and so forth. But the builders not necessarily, unless driven by a specific brief, thinking about the operational efficiency of that building and what its cost is going to be, uh, you know, from a year-to-year -year basis. And, and certain asset types are very, very expensive to run. So there are certain investments that one needs to make in the building's design to ensure that it, it maintains its operational efficiency, but continuously improve its sustainability performance and improve, you know, reduce its, you know, power consumption and water consumption. It's an environment that's... Uh, safer, more productive for occupants and so forth. So there are a lot of things actually going on here, but the key thing is to ensure that you're raising the bar across multiple fronts to ensure the, uh, you know, the safety, security and efficiency uh, um, and of, the, of the occupants and the managers of that building and that that occurs over its life cycle because every building owner wants to ensure that, asset, that, that um, occupants of the building are, are happy yeah, and they want them to stay there and they want to, to, to ensure that it occurs over its life cycle. So that's why we've got this succinct definition here because it's something that ultimately, if you're thinking about how do I relay this term to the rest of our management team and so forth, I think you want at least a working definition as a starting point that's going to be easier to understand and more accessible and doesn't come across as being sort of over um, engineering, you know, in its, in its uh, definition, if you like. Yeah, absolutely. And I th obviously your point about it being over the life cycle is super important. I mean, all too often yeah. we see, you know, the, when it when the building gets handed over to the owner, that, that that's when uh, it, it often stops, right? The, uh, the smart stops and we need that to continue and we need to be more proactive in making sure buildings are um, um, efficient over the whole life cycle, not just when they're handed over as a new a new build. Aaron, yeah, is there anything, anything you wanted to add to that? 
Yeah, I mean, it's just to reinforce, this is a great definition, by the way, we use a similar one um, that has maybe one key feature of difference in that it, it uh, emphasizes the program level nature of this. Switch Automation's customers are all portfolio operators of, um, of real assets. So um, while the buildings are designed and built typically one at a time, particularly in large you know, sort of class A commercial um, real estate, not quite the same in, in every corporate real estate group. Um, but, you know, that's generally the mold by which it's done. Every building is a project and it is important that you get all the buildings right to be part of a program. But fundamentally, there is a programmatic nature to doing smart buildings that all of our customers have in mind. Um, and, you know, when, you know, taking it back to ROI um, as an example, you know, Bruce has done a great job of highlighting really three of the major key drivers of ROI that we help to measure uh, and improve um, for them. And that's lowering risk, um, improving the experience of occupants, whether that's tenants or, or visitors to a, a retail environment, for example, but the, the occupants of users of the building. And then doing that, uh, both of those things, at a, um, uh, the most you know, efficient cost base uh, that they can. Um, and uh, trying to identify trade-offs and make strategic choices about those. And to do that, you really do need to think across the facilities. Um, so we work with our customers to actually get all of that information from all of the, the, the buildings um, that are in the program into one place so that we can actually make comparisons, and draw useful conclusions. Yeah, great. So let's get into the weeds. And let's talk about the first of these, um, these steps, right, in, in the ROI-driven smart building program. So strategy, What's, which is all too often missed. It's all too often missed, yes. Uh, people like to jump to the answer, typically, right? The, the assumption is, oh, all we need is system X, Y, Z, and the combination of things. Surely just, you just implement that. We just buy that, we'll get a consultant, they can implement the system, and away you go. However, that's not really understanding the context of the problem you're trying to solve here. And in, in the development cycle or any sort of project life cycle, you, you have to do with a budget at the end of the day. Right? That's a, it's, a, it's a reality. Whether you're asking for funding or there's funding that exists for a new development, and there needs to be some sort of justification as to how that money is going to be spent. Yeah? So we've, in, in our experience, we... we understand that essentially to be um, effective in, in coming up with a new uh, smart building uh, you know, project, uh, that you have to have a strategy there which connects the dots between why is it we are doing various developments, why is it we, you know, what, what's the drivers here? Improving safety and security, improving um, uh, sustainability, helping to achieve accreditation for a building because either, for example, a LEED or a Green Star or a BREAM program says that in order to achieve these points, to achieve this rating, you need to do the following thing. So therefore, there's a, uh, an intent there to do that. Um, or there's um, uh, differentiation, that there needs to be some sort of uh, engagement of customers uh, occupants come to the building there, which is some of the exciting and, and differentiating, for example, I don't know, kinetic paving or digital art or something like that, right? So there are literally hundreds and hundreds of different types of elements that one can include in the building. We, we maintain a database of over 300 different types of technologies that could be considered for any um, property development project. There's an enormous sea of things out there, but in the process of filtering down and understanding uh, which which technologies are actually appropriate for building, you have to go through this strategic phase. The first part, step of that really is in this sort of review phase. And that's really understanding your site. It's understanding about what are the actual the site conditions in, for this particular location. Or in Aaron's case, you know, if you're looking at a portfolio, each of these individual sites typically will have some nuance about it regarding certain constraints and opportunities that might exist that can help influence your design decisions. So for example, the diversity of telecommunications feeds into the building or uh, communications, um, you know, uh, backbones or infrastructures, or power supplies, um, overshadowing from other, other buildings that might block communications or um, the environment in terms of, you know, heat or uh, light or 
rainfall or there's a huge range of different elements uh, that, that might need to be considered in the design process. So you really don't need to get your head into understanding what are, what constraints uh, are there and what opportunities might those constraints actually present that the building can respond to and we can use techn technology to actually help address some of those uh, constraints um, in, a, in there. So a really good review of all of those different elements there is going to help inform what actually it is you're trying to do. What is the developer trying to achieve for this particular development? You know, how are they trying to differentiate this in the marketplace? What's the language they're using? Who are the customers that they are, the, the anchor tenants that they are trying to attract in here or the purchasers of a, um, of a, uh, of a residential project, et cetera. What is it that, that they're trying to sort of pitch and attract a certain type of market segment? So a review process is really, really important. Um, the research part of it really is understanding the various different stakeholders. Now, when you're going through a process uh, of identifying different technologies, and if I was asked, asked anyone, everyone on this call here now, what technologies do you believe would actually add value to to this particular uh, development here i guarantee you i'm going to get a huge range of different answers on there and the reason being is that well people will come from a range of different backgrounds whether they are the building or facilities manager whether they are the tenant uh whether they're going to be a visitor to that tenancy whether a resident whether the general public etc there's going to be all the uh, investor Everyone's going to have a different view of what they think technology represents to them because everyone's trying to answer a fundamental question. And the fundamental question is, selfishly, what's in it for me? What are the things that I'm looking for that I would recognise value that's going to give me, for example, a better user experience visiting that particular building? Or what's better for me in being able to manage or facilitate you know, that particular building on there? So I'm looking for certain things operationally. Or what's better for me because I'm a sustainability person? I need to get data out of this building so I can actually prove the fact that we are achieving a particular star rating in the building. Yeah. Or what's better for me as an asset portfolio manager looking across the entire portfolio of assets that says I need visibility of everything inside this building here so I can compare and contrast performance of this particular building versus another building. Right. So you get the idea here that that understanding your audience, understanding your stakeholders and what the things they might be looking for is really important. Now, obviously, in amongst all that, you're going to have a diversity of opinions of what should be prioritised, what should the money actually be spent on, thus the strategic approach, right? So therefore, you need to kind of do a bit of a balance around all that, saying, so okay, how do we begin to address some of these different people's needs? The next part of it then really is understanding about what actually could be possible. What's, what's your blue sky moments on here and the ideation process here, the brainstorming part of it there is looking out there and there might be some a few things out there which actually are genuinely market differentiating uh, that you can do that's a bit of a kind of like, oh wow, no one else is actually doing that or thought of that. Now it might be something a little bit tokenistic, but at least it's a, a, some element of that could be a little bit of a hook that actually is, it becomes engaging with people talking about the building you know, for example, the edge in Amsterdam, if we think about that, you know, uh, and then as a little byline down the bottom there, people go, oh, I've got robotic security thing going on, all right? So is it actually fundamental to a smart building? Probably not. But it's something engaging and interesting to people for a certain type of audience that says, oh, okay, that's different, right? They're doing something different there. And there's some, there's some PR value in that, right? In and there's some PR value in that, yeah. It gets people talking, it gets investors talking, it gives something... Gives something for agents to talk about, you know, because they're always looking for something different to talk about in amongst all of that. So if we begin to then stitch all those different elements together, a review process to understand existing site conditions and constraints and opportunities, a research, you know, element of this, understanding various different stakeholders' needs and understanding the breadth of the different technologies out there. I mentioned there's, you know, 300 plus technologies that at least we're tracking that are potential out there and understanding and brainstorming new ideas and concepts and so forth that one can do bring all that together, that is the formation of your strategy. And your strategy should begin to align to, well, what are the objectives of the, of the parent company that's actually, or the, or the consortium that's actually been involved in this development of this portfolio, um, you know, play on here? You know, they obviously want to do this because they want to differentiate this asset they're creating, all these assets in the marketplace, because they want to be better than their competitors. They want to attract you know, better people. So what is that strategy? So if you can identify 
what is the corporate objective or what's the objective of this new you know part of their portfolio etc then you can align the building's need to that objective so then for your building strategy helps to support some broader you know corporate objectives they're trying to do and then of course for your stakeholders higher up the food chain they're going to be going tick get it all right they're supporting that thing which you know probably with a lack of evidence could be perceived as being a motherhood statement right so while well, we want to be smarter better and so forth well here's a tangible example of what we mean by that through the opportunity that this particular you know project actually uh implies right and so your strategy yeah aaron what's your um What's your view in terms of this this um, stage of the, the project lifecycle with some of the things that you've worked, some of the clients you've worked with? So it's, it's critical uh, if you're going to have a successful program. It's not to say you can't have success without um, spending the effort early, but you have a much higher likelihood of achieving you know, the success you ultimately want if you start early. And, and um, I, I think the way to summarize what you're trying to get out of the strategy phase uh, is to act with intention. So there are a lot of, you know, it's that sort of management by, what was it, the airline catalog. Um, there are people um, that do that, and sometimes you can get success out of that, but it's it's difficult. So if what you're wanting to do is develop an ROI-driven program, then you need to define early on what ROI means to you. Because, it, you know, I work across a, with a lot, a lot of customers, and it means a lot of different things depending on, on um who you are and your perspective and the, the broader strategy of your organization. So you can't assume that ROI means the same thing. Um, so defining early what those things are that actually matter to you and then figuring out how to measure what success actually looks like and then getting the right people to the table, the right stakeholders to the table early um, and, and you know forming something like a steering committee or a working group that actually um, crosses functionalities within the company is essential if you're going to do a, a you know a portfolio-wide program, um, and that you know often includes something like um, folks in, in finance. It definitely includes both the the development and construction side of a property organization and the operations side, getting them to the table together, and then also bringing in IT early. Um, who are often for the first time being introduced to the building uh, group. Or, or especially corporate real estate organizations with our corporate customers. Oftentimes, the, 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 the handshake that IT makes with the, the corporate real estate group is um, by the program that we're a part of. They're just sort of first starting to understand what each other do, you know, how, how they have to work together going forward. So doing all that early and often incredibly important. Um, I think the number one thing is to try to act with intention. Define your objectives. That's a great point, and it's off, too often missed. Yeah. So, okay, so let we have the strategy now for our smart building project, and um, we move into, move into design. So, the design stage here, I guess, really is is where a lot of behavioural change needs to occur. So, it needs to be. Uh, sort of tying in with your, your your design team who inevitably are going to be new to various elements of what is you're trying to, to describe to them regarding new technologies that they may not have encountered before. Um, and it's really important to actually uh, provide the uh, clear, concise, you know, technology development brief. So we start off the process essentially by creating, translating what the strategy is at the beginning, yeah, or technology master plan in there, and then helping to actually uh, define this uh, this technology brief that actually is going to guide the other um, services engineering consultants about the design, the, the detailed design they're about to go and create. Now, the fundamental difference in the approach here is that traditionally, service engineers are designing for control. They are designing, for example, an access control system or a BMS for HVAC control, or they're designing um, a CCTV system, and it's all about for them control initially, right? And so people like uh, ourselves and and uh, Aaron are going to go and say, okay, the dimension here now really is thinking about data, right? Data, <laughs> and uh, and how we are going to extract data out of these various different systems and begin to organise that and get that into 
uh, a platform that enables to better understand the performance of various different building systems and get insights and uh, and trends and um, and so forth regarding it. So the data dimension here is really, really important to do, that data acquisition. Now, you need to be organized to be able to do that. You need to define the elements of your design, such as an ICN or an integrated communications network, an IP backbone, which is going to be used for communications for all buildings, right? So that is not necessarily commonplace everywhere. We've seen that's the trend of where it's all going, but the first time you mentioned to a you know, design and construction team that is a common IP backbone, they might sort of say, yes, uh, they get the notion or they want to do it, but they don't know how to go about do it, doing it well. Um, how do you specify that? Who should you go to? What level of resilience should you provide? What level of cybersecurity should be applied, et cetera, et cetera. So there needs to be a good definition of those requirements and therefore tying it in also with them, what other service engineers, engineers actually doing. And then following that documentation all the way through to the point that when things go out to tender, that it's absolutely crystal clear as to what is required for those various different elements of the services engineering design that incorporate and consider the use of technology that has the right network interfaces, has the right data acquisition capabilities, has articulated a way that data is going to be stored for the building and so forth. So it's a really critical phase of the project to get a lot of things right. Otherwise, confusion will result. And I can pretty much guarantee that's what will happen because in this stage of the, of, of the process when the understanding is not necessarily high, just yet in the industry, uh, and not everyone's on this, on the same page, some people will, will know more than others, it's important that the entire project team, the project managers, the development managers, um, your specialist consultants, everyone is on the same page as to what are the outcomes of the design process and what actually is going to be um, uh, built itself. Yeah, right. I mean, I can imagine without the necessary documentation when you enter this, you know, the the, the contracting, subcontracting phase and all of these different people getting involved, yeah. like there can so much uh, potential for misinformation yeah. or or not really understanding what the the overall uh, aim of, of, of the project is? Well, the typical problem we see is that there's a lack of definition, right? So you will find clauses such as, shall be an open system. And then there's crickets chirping after that particular yeah. line. It's like there's no further explanation of what that actually means, yeah. right? Or shall, shall be capable of being integrated. And then you, then you talk to the bill, hey, I thought the things were gonna be integrated. It's like, well, you said, capable of yes the system's capable of right so there has to be some meat on the bone here there has to be well what did you mean by that specifically what systems are integrated to what other systems for example or how where is this this data that's actually being acquired where is it all going to how is it all organized etc so it has to be some really good definition there otherwise you'll get exactly what you specified which tends traditionally to be very high level and a little bit loose yeah, Aaron, what's what's your experience with uh, in this phase? I mean, it, is there are you seeing in the projects you guys are involved with that there's enough documentation and that we're capable of getting all the data out from the different systems? Yeah, increasingly that's uh, becoming less of a problem. The integration challenges are getting somewhat better, and you know, the, the design process around how to get data out of buildings has improved significantly. Uh, we see a really, really broad um, proliferation of, of you know, open standards like BACnet that are that do provide a level of consistency, um, you know, uh, such that you there is interoperability without having to write a you know some sort of custom integration for everything. Um, one of the key things you know that you need to do in the design process is figure out who's doing what. The, a lot of times the specs are fine uh, on a building, but what you'll find in the field once that project is done, again, we usually come in and then uh, you know we're we're sort of forensically unpacking what's actually happened in the buildings. You know, say five years later or ten years later, and what you'll find is that while they you know the specs may have been written right for the the lighting control system to be integrated with the uh, uh, you know DDC HVAC control system to make a, a unified or integrated uh, building management system that it wasn't specified who was actually supposed to do that. And so they remain standalone. We see that a lot. Um, 
So, and there's a lot of, a lot of times the operators don't even know the original intention of what the design is supposed to do. They've just sort of been living with it from the beginning. So there's kind of gap in knowledge there. I, I think that the important thing about the design phase of this is it's where if you think of ROI, it's some combination of costs and benefits, typically with the costs more front loaded, maybe there's some recurring element, um, but with benefits accruing over time such that you get an economical outcome. Um, whatever those benefits are, whether they're hard, you know, cost savings, and that's your strategy or your strategic focus, or whether you're, you're much more focused on tenant comfort and maintaining a really um, efficiently running system that's going to you know, make tenants happy 99% plus of the time. It um, doesn't matter. You, you're, you're accruing that over time. But the cost element of the program is massively important. So in the strategic phase, you've defined all those benefits, like I talked about. You know what, what success looks like to you, and you're willing to incur some sort of capital or investment cost to get those benefits. All of that capital cost essentially happens in the design phase. You take the what you want to do and actually turn it into how you're going to do it. Whether that's sort of building the technology in, you know, from a, for a new property development or campus, or whether you're integrating a, you know, a, a large portfolio of, you know, continent-wide office buildings. Um, we've worked in both environments. We, we tend to work in more of the the existing building. Um, uh, portfolios, but designing how the program is going to work, how we're going to do those integrations, what um, um, you know projects may need to be done out in the field and by who, who are going to be the qualified bidders to do those. Sometimes it's better to have surgical um, uh, contractors that are, are sort of small and high quality than it is to have the, the sort of you know large general contractors handle those projects. It's too costly. Um, what technology components like networking backbones are going to go in. Uh, some of the best programs I've had a uh, chance to work with are ones that have all of their networking technology just built out like it was the air conditioning and the heating and air. You know, it was built in as a building system and it's excellent and it's already in place and well managed. So knowing that ahead of time or knowing if you need to build that as part of the program, I mean, you can imagine the cost impact on the program just knowing that one fact ahead of time. Do I have stable networks that my IT group is comfortable with, you know, versus, um, you know, vendor provided multiple DSL connections into the building for every different subsystem that they're going to be unhappy with or that may not suit our needs. So all the cost flows through the design. And if you don't get this one right, it's very hard to then at the end when you're reviewing your program um, to get um, the uh, benefits that you saw economically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The devil's in the detail, basically, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's, it, it, it pays it pays significantly to to ensure that that level of detail is actually there, which ultimately de-risks your 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 project, your program. Um, and as Aaron was saying, it helps to realise the benefits that you start out with your strategy, because you know there's huge opportunity that that can occur in the uh, actual you know construction, also in the in the uh, in the design process even to to value manage or value engineer out things which you intended to be there but someone taken a different view or didn't quite get it or didn't understand and so forth uh, and Aaron also touched upon the demarcation thing they're significantly important not only in design but also in implementation understanding who does what who's responsible for different things and where are those demarcation as we begin to blur some of the boundaries between different people we talk about you know inter interdisciplinary design approaches it's important to define who is responsible and accountable for the full design or the integration of various different systems in the design process. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot to consider. And as you, what you mentioned brings us on to the third and final kind of stage of this, right? Implementation. Yeah. And um, this is where the rubber hits the road, as they say. Um, and the implementation stage there was now we... You've, you've transitioned to your general contractor and the delivery team and their and their you know subcontractors to actually build what it is you're looking for. Now there needs to be oversight of that process itself. So during the build process, there needs to be typically early on. There's a lot of DMA questions that come about. Right? What are what are each of the various different subcontractors doing? What is my electrical contractor doing in terms of, for example, structured cabling that helps support you know. 
uh, metering and data acquisition and their use of the integrated communications network, um, et cetera. There needs to be some oversight there and the builder will have questions around different things. If they're not comfortable with technology or they need some you know, input and independent advice as to what they're seeing, you know, is everyone doing the right thing? What are the questions being raised? They understand the documentation that's been created, et cetera. Ensuring that basically that process goes through smoothly is a really critical thing because uh, my observation being is that any one of these particular stages, particularly through design and implementation, is an opportunity for things to become unstuck. And unfortunately, technology being one of those new topics gets tarred with a brush of, oh, it all doesn't work, right? Or, you know, and, and, and when things don't quite go quite to, to plan, everything sort of can be, uh, you know, tainted with the, um, someone actually not doing a good job, which affects someone else's job there. So solid oversight, everything that's going on is really, really important. Um, Testing is really important. I'll get Aaron to talk about that. I'm sure he's seen lots of it before, but making sure things, not just the solutions in place there, but actually going through all those use case scenarios, making sure that is this the user experience that one is, is, was the intent, you know, coming into the building and the way access control works and the way different zones and regions work. It's not just about putting in the control system, but testing usability and so forth. And then finally, then making sure that you've got the right support contracts in place. You know, this is not beyond the, just the 12 month defect liability period um, or whatever it is, depending to the asset type and region, uh, it's really ensuring you've got the right partners in place that can continuously maintain and support these you know, technology systems that are going in place. You know, who is maintaining and supporting your integrated communications uh, network, sort of your, your backbone for the building, your IP backbone? Who is, who is looking after cybersecurity for the building? Who is looking after various different elements, but particularly the new ones that are not traditional in the process? So I'll hand it over to Aaron now, who, who is an absolute expert in the delivery of these sorts of things as well, to talk about them, his experiences. Well, I appreciate that. I have uh, implemented a lot of programs um, at this point, and I've seen some succeed and some you know, go more slowly, typically, is the, the pain point of a program that's not, uh, not achieving its goals. Like I, th there's a lot of detail in the build part of this that we probably don't have time to get into. And if anybody is ever interested to talk more about that and, and our, our experiences and how we do that, then just reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, uh, we spend an enormous amount of time at Switch breaking down the build process. I mean, that one bullet here on the slide into, you know, very, very detailed work breakdown structures and try to understand all the dependencies and, and build you know, schedules that appropriately manage expectations uh, for customers. Because projects of any sort inevitably encounter delays and techno technology projects are sort of notorious for that. Um, uh, you know, standard things apply, communication along the way, um, uh, root cause analysis, you know, lots, of, uh, lots of internal coordination and, and just detailed program management. And I've, I'm lucky enough to have a really impressive team of people uh, around me that, that help keep our projects on track um, best we can. Um, I wanna spend just a little bit of time talking about testing and support. This has become incredibly important in what we do. And uh, test is um, interesting here. Really, it's sort of the commissioning of the smart building platform itself. So you've say so you've got all your data integrated and all named and your data points named and mapped and you know what everything is and um, you figured out how often it's coming to you and it looks like it should and you, you've applied the right units of measure. Um, you're in a pretty good place as far as the technology you've built. But one of the things that we've started to immediately turn around and do with customers and one of the things we've had to sort of been forced um, to do is uh, turn around and look at the data sources themselves. And this is both in new construction and existing building situations. Things are often out there in the real world and properly commissioned. It's just a reality of the world we live in. I did a program one time that deployed uh, about 300 uh, three-phase uh, meters and sub-meters across a, a portfolio. They were all the same meter, all the same CT brand. And what we found at the end of the program that was just under half of the individual CT, so there were 900 current transformers put out there, about half were installed backwards. And that's a story I like to tell because that essentially, and this was across the United States, this program. And I like to tell the story because it, it sort of highlights that it's sort of a coin flip on what you're gonna get out of uh, contractors. Even if you go through training with them, even if you, 
you know, provide diagrams and instructions, something that is literally a binary installation. It's either the right way or the wrong way. Um, about half the time in the, that experience came out backwards. So you have to immediately turn around and test what you're seeing because, uh, you know, particularly from the perspective of switch where we're the, the, the single pane of glass for the data, if any of the data looks weird or wrong or, you know, we're missing data points, it, it always becomes our problem, even if it's not our hardware or our network. So we spend a huge amount of time just sort of focused on data quality and, and commissioning of the data sources themselves right whenever we flip the switch to, to turn the building on in our platform. Um, we're also increasingly providing um, uh, services, as I mentioned earlier, related to things like fault detection and often end up turning that fault detection on uh, you know, our, own, our own platform or our own systems or the networks over which the data is flowing because you've got to keep the smart building technology up and running uh, as well, in addition to helping find things that may be wrong with the HVAC or, or the lighting system. So um, these three phases could really each be their own book, or these three steps here in implementation could really each be their own book. There's a lot that goes into that, but you've got to get them right, obviously. And one of the things we're really focusing on now is um, then taking all of that information and distilling it into um, useful reports um, for people at a higher level in the program. So going back to our strategy, pointing, you know, the arrow sort of points back to strategy, you've got to then communicate back with those high level stakeholders, uh, you know, directors, VPs, C-suite, um, program sponsors of um, where everything is, what you're finding, the opportunities that they may have to generate the ROI that they originally set out for. Right. Um, that's yeah. a huge challenge. And we're getting better at it. Yeah, it's a super interesting example you gave there. I mean, it, it might even be the case, I guess, in some sort of you know building management systems that 50% commissioning is, is being generous. It might, might even be um, more than that that aren't commissioned properly. Uh, so it's really super important that that phase of the of, of these projects, right? Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I mean, you've got to make sure that the data that is coming to to the software that people ultimately interact with is is high quality data. It's the first thing you've got to check. So we we've got about eight minutes left, and I know this is sort of wraps things things up a little bit. This this chart, and and so I just also want to say, everyone listening out there, if you've got any questions. For Bruce or Aaron, then um, give them to me now, and we can we can we can tackle them. But Bruce, I know this was something that you wanted to finish with, right? This, this slide. yeah, just to sort of close things out there, and uh, appreciate the fact that we've we've covered a lot of sort of you know ground here, and and given you sort of uh, you know a broad brush sort of approach to um, a lot of detail that's actually required. Don't want to sort of scare people that listeners on on here about that, but really, it's you know. I think with a structured approach onto all of this, um, that all these outcomes we've been describing here are totally achievable um, there. So, but the key, th key thing here, a lot of people start into this sort of uh, new area of the industry and in creating smart buildings because they want to innovate. They want to improve things, want to get things you know better. But timing is absolutely everything. I mentioned, I think, at the beginning of this um, webinar, that you know, only 20% of the, the, the problem really here is, is actually technology. 80% of it is behavioral change. We have an influence a huge range of different stakeholders, all the way from you know, investors, asset owners, facility managers, development managers, project managers, subcontractors, et cetera. And if we want to implement them, it, 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 it involves a, a behavior change. And if you want to innovate, you're going to have to get into this process as early as possible to get everyone on board. And that's where you can begin to realize the value in here. So that's why you know, this particular chart here represents that if you want to innovate, you have to and recognize the maximum number of opportunities. You the best time to do that is as early as possible in the whole project. Now, at the point where you're setting a vision and your strategy, when you're establishing what your project budget is going to be, how much you want to spend on this, how far are we going to push this thing in order to achieve a, a, a better outcome, you have to be as early as possible in the process as well. Because as you can see by the chart on here, the further you go, the greater the cost is going to be. And I'm sure you know Aaron and myself have all been in the same sort of position where you get this call and say, oh, what can you do to help us out here? 
And like, you know, that, that boat has sailed, right? You know intuitively that there's a, stay, there's a stage in the, in the project when things are going to be really expensive and complex because, you know, the budget's not there, the design's gone a certain way and so forth. You can't, technology can't fix things, you know, as I call it, automatically, um, you know, unless, you know, a proper process has actually has been uh, applied on here. So I'd encourage everybody listening to, if they want to innovate, to contemplate this as early as possible in the process that they can to maximise the, 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 the value potential on their next uh, project of creating a smart building. Right. Start talking about technologies early in the design and, and, and then the strategy phase as possible. Yeah. And, and I guess as a lot of the time, th- these kind of things as well, if there isn't someone advocating for technology, it can get engineered out quite easily. Yes, that's right. I mean, you need your internal champions inside the organisation. You need to find those people who are going to be you know, sympathetic to the reason that you want to go and do this. But if you don't have those champions, I mean, you're up against <laughs> you're up against it, really. Um, you really do need to have find who are going to be advocates inside the organisation, whether it be the sustainability lead or the facilities managers lead or development managers that recognise that there's you no know, inherent value in, in being able to differentiate yourself from the market. So there are multiple potential stakeholders in this there you need to get them on board and and um you know and really help to drive the conversation around what can be achieved and um and that the appropriate budgets can actually be you know applied to this then they're not looking at a traditional cost plan hoping that somehow they can you know rub two sticks together and create magic from from nothing uh, uh that has to be done. i'm not saying that you have to you know, invest huge amounts of, of, of money in this, but there obviously is a cost, additional cost to the process, certainly. And there's certainly ways of being able to extract, uh, um, you know, uh, money and value out of existing project budgets if you know how, for example, and knowing that, for example, using uh, existing structured cabling methods and then having sort of, you know, multiple different cabling infrastructures, there's money to be saved by consolidating that and coming down to one integrated communications network, um, you know, backbone. Um, so there can be savings that, that can be realised, uh, there could be opportunities that could be realised, but you need to start thinking about them very early on in the um, in the project. Right. Aaron, anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, just like any building project, um, I mean, I think anybody with a, a background in, you know, in development, design or construction knows that that changes midstream incur more costs. So I, I love this slide. It's absolutely true. Um, it's no different. Um, it's actually probably a bit amplified for, for projects that involve technology. Um, technology is a, a really amazing thing, but it, there is a cost to it. It's not, it's not free. It requires some elements of standardization and, and structure. And so changing that midstream can incur costs on the program. That's why it's so important to start early um, with, with a strategy phase and know where you're wanting to get. Um, so it just sort of comes back to that theme that I've, I've mentioned a couple of times of acting with intention. Um, and if you do that and you, you get in the game early, then um, you know, you'll have a good outcome. Yeah, absolutely. Acting with intention. So that kind of brings us towards the end now of, um, of the webinar. Um, I think there's a question from me. Uh, and in terms, obviously, the, 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 that whole... Um, uh, evaluation roadmap you put together. I mean, I'm assuming it applies also just as equally to um, retrofit projects as new construction. Yeah, I mean, we, we base the the um, evaluation roadmap off of Bruce's framework. Uh, we have, our company has a relationship with Bruce going back to projects we did in in Australia. Switch Automation was was founded in Sydney. Um, and we still have a strong presence there. Um, but, uh, you know, largely speaking now, we do mostly portfolio retrofit um, smart building programs that are really enterprise IT enablement programs for those those organizations that, that operate uh, portfolios. Um, and so the, the evaluation roadmap is very much suitable for that type of application. Yeah. And there we've got the link. Um, so if you guys listening want to... Um download it you can uh you can click on that we will also put that up on on the show notes and and also um guys where can if anyone has any sort of questions where can they get hold of you bruce 
Oh, well, just as that, uh, just uh, contact me via LinkedIn. So you've got the spelling of my name there. It's a good start. Um, or contact me at uh, bruce at meldstrategies.com. Um, always happy to, to talk to people and uh, provide me you know, advice or insights or what they might need. Great. Um, yeah. Aaron? Um, www.switchautomation.com or if you want to talk to me directly, it's uh, alapsley at switchautomation.com. So that's fir- first... Uh, first name, initial, last name at switchautomation.com. Great. And we are recording uh, this webinar and all of the other the content we put together. So you can subscribe now on iTunes. And that, uh, if you just search for Smart Building Series, you'll find us on there and also on SoundCloud. And as I said, we're going to put all of this up on the, uh, on, the web- on our website, memory.com, tomorrow. Uh, so you'll see the show notes on there and the slides and, and this audio. And also just want to let everybody know that uh, we've got another webinar in August 23rd, and that's going to be talking to a guy called Brian Shepherdson, um, who works for Virgin Money in the UK. He's responsible for their smart building program, and they're doing some really interesting things, actually implementing this stuff, putting technology into buildings and, and really trying to optimize their workforce. So Uh, I will be putting up more information about that later. So just really also want to say thanks to um, our sponsor, Project Haystack, and also to Bruce and Aaron. Really appreciate you guys taking the time to to talk to me today. Thanks, James. Thanks thanks a lot. And obviously thanks to everyone who listened. Uh, Goodbye.